And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Tuesday, October 31st. Happy Halloween if you are observing it. Uh, I did not have time to put my costume on for the show because I think it needs to be washed. Uh, so pictures probably on Instagram later. Uh, you know, it looks like you also have chosen to show up today as yourself. My baseball dad. I've got to do yeah. a throwing session, uh, an arm strength session later today, and maybe some bat speed work. I don't know that I will get dressed up tonight because I got a World Series game to watch. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've held it, held it down the fort. We have a... Um, a, a pretty good neighborhood and so we have like five or six kids coming over to our house to trick-or-treat with our kids uh in which case uh we'll have plenty of chaperones i think to go out with the kids um my kids are getting a little bit older at third third grade and sixth grade where it's really just about maximizing you know candy input and not really about anything else so uh it's i like i like it uh i've always uh you know i've had some great outfits over the years uh bob ross i was a really good bob ross <laughs> i was a really good kenny g with the long hair i've had some yep. good outfits over the years and i've been a, a willing participant but uh i kind of almost like the adult version better like the you know like actual sort of adults with you know weird like pun always like a pun costume or something you know uh so i, I kind of like uh you know i went to a fisher spooner show with where we, everyone was dressed up that was real fun so um the kid stuff early on it's super cute and then at some point it's just like a rabid candy fest i think you are right in the sweet spot for that i'm curious to see if the uh, the older child starts designing heat maps for where the best candy is in the neighborhood and then starts skipping houses in order to, to maximize the candy output. Oh, yeah. You have have some notes, but like skip these two houses, go here. We're going to cover this eight block radius instead of four blocks because this will give us the most possible he candy. Might, might try to maximize his time. Today he's going as a baseball bat. So he's got bat wings. And uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's okay. It's a pun. It really he's is. He's already pun starting on the puns. <laughs> <laughs> the younger one. I, there's a trend. I don't know if you've noticed uh, in in the sort of medium sized children uh, to have these like blow up costumes where there's like an air machine inside. That's no. I'm very unaware. So it, like inflates <laughs> the costume so you can kind of wear. So it's almost like a bouncy house technology, but like. It inflates this costume around Bearable. you, so he's yeah. going as like a person on a on a rocket, but his legs are the rocket, and the person is inflated in front of him. <laughs> if you can imagine that, he has another version of it where he's uh, like a, a a small person riding an alien. So it's like you know your legs are the alien's legs, and you know anyway, uh, the, 
that's almost seems like cheating to me. But that that is a level that when we were children it was, not, was absolutely not, to not possible. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, so I went as a baseball player during the the baseball strike in '94. Uh huh. And I just had a sign, a homemade sign that said on strike. And I was walking around in a baseball uniform. Like, that's that's all I had, right? That's That was, that was like a lot of effort back in that in that time. But uh, now we're using a lot of technology, which is, you know, that's fun. Use it if you have it. Makes everything more fun. But uh, have fun. Be safe out there, everybody. Uh, we've got a lot to get to on this episode. we got unusual bad seasons for hitters. So we, of course, asked for recommendations. And I kind of pulled together a group of some of the more popular requests from this bunch and we're going to start in minnesota with uh, carlos correa because at a glance you look at carlos correa's numbers we probably talked about him at some point in the middle of the season he seemed like a, a clear rebound candidate in season what i think was overlooked at that time and is much more clear now because we we saw him spend some time on the il with plantar fasciitis in september is that Correa played with that injury from about late May on. He also had a back injury, a relatively minor one, back in April. So there was very little time during the 2023 season in which Carlos Correa was completely healthy. He managed to rack up a decent amount of playing time. But for a guy that doesn't offer you anything in the stolen base category in a typical year, the margin for error is a little smaller. Because he has to hit for average, he has to be a great run producer, and he has to get to more power than he did in 2023 in order to make value, even where he was going. He relatively was inexpensive because there was a lot of concern after everything that happened with the physicals and not having a deal with the Giants and ending up back in Minnesota. I think most people in the fantasy community looked at this player and said, okay, these teams were passing on him. Let's temper our expectations that this will be the year that he stays healthy. So... All this is to say, like when you look at the underlying numbers from Correa as a hitter with an offseason for this injury to heal, do you see him getting back to his pre-2023 form in 2024? I don't know. I mean, Correa was the first person uh, that ever sort of put the light bulb on for me when I, I pointed out to him his rolling exit velocity charts and I said, what happened here in this dip? You know, were you injured? And he said, yeah, I I played through some stuff there. And, um, you know, I think that just the way that you look at, you look at this and you say this barrel rate was the same as usual or a little bit down from the year before, but, you know, in the range of his normal outcomes, his uh, max power was still there. Uh, Nothing was really shows that obviously about his pull or ground ball, fly ball rates, stuff like that. Um, you know, you just realize that there's this underlying pain that kept him from doing anything. The way that it showed up for him was in his sprint speed where he went from, uh, you know, 45th percentile to 33rd percentile in one off season. And, uh, you know, that was the second biggest uh, drop of his career. So it definitely hurt him in terms of outcomes. Do I expect him to get much better um, in that regard, like, I don't know, could he get back to 35th percentile? I don't expect him actually to get closer to 50th percentile. I, f- I expect this to be part of why the Giants ran screaming, you know? It's like, this is this is kind of what we were worried about. And just because it happened in year one, 
doesn't mean it's not going to happen here too. The only thing that has changed that will change going forward is his, his price is going to drop even further. And at some point, the price drops so far on Cause Korea that I'm in. Like if you're talking about a backup MI or like a util, if I, you know, if I, you know, took a, a chance on an MI that, you know, if I had jazz somewhere or, you know, if I had another MI that was also oft injured, I might just double up on it just to be like, hopefully one of these guys is healthy and gives me a starting MI. Um, but right now, would like, where is his, where's his ADP? Where's his, what's his, would you rather? Because, uh, I would assume it's really low. And at that point I could take a shot on someone I think could still hit 280 with 20 to 25 homers, you know, like that doesn't, that's not zero value. The current range, we've got five October drafts that are showing up on the ADP report over at the NFBC right now. Current range is pick 250 to pick 327. That is real low. That is getting to the bottom part of your roster, like a late MI, yeah, maybe even a bench player based on the the later part of that range. That's a significant drop for a guy that I think is reasonably safe. In a typical year, you're going to see at least a 270 batting average from Carlos Correa. It's um, it's a silly category, but it's a category we use nonetheless. And because the plate skills were so similar to what he's done throughout his career he hits the ball hard he makes contact i mean yeah I, th- those parts i think will will be there i just you know doubles are not going to necessarily be there and you know there's going to be you're going to have missed time the, the the harder it is to roster him when he's injured uh the hard the less i want to draft him you know do you think with stolen bases being more plentiful do you think it's more likely you'd roster Correa or a player like him, someone who gives you nothing in the category, or is it less likely because there's more pressure on your entire roster to get to a higher total? Because I, I think I'm more likely to roster Correa now than I've ever been, especially with a decreased price. And, and Corey Seager, for a long time, I thought Corey Seager and Carlos Correa were kind of similar fantasy players, right? I thought it was average run production, power, We've seen Seager sort of bump up the quality of his contact and sustain it to a level that Correa never has. So I think it's unfair at this point to say that Correa has that same kind of ceiling. But if it's a pick 250 ADP as the draft season continues, I'm very willing to go ahead and, and, and take Correa because you're talking about a high-volume player as long as these nagging injuries don't come up. I, I know I was the, among the people that thought Anthony Rendon was a really smart bounce back player up. <laughs> this season so maybe this is falling into the same trap again not quite i mean he's been on the field more than rendon everyone has yeah, right. i mean that's and he also hasn't that's, been that's part as, of like ridiculous about it with the media and stuff right rendon disappointing in so many ways and just the way he handled it is even worse like it's not fun to be hurt i know i know a player doesn't want to be unable to go out there and, and contribute but he was just ridiculous about the whole thing 1800 plate appearances i think doing the back of the napkin math close to 1800 plate appearances over the last three seasons for correa that's pretty good it's not that bad it's really not that bad the durability issues were more in the age 22 to 24 seasons and i think one of those was sort of like a random catastrophic sort of injury so i don't know I, i think he's got a little bit of an undeserved reputation i'd be more worried about correa at age 31 age 32 
they'll be 29 going into next season. Yeah, so I think there could be one or two more yeah. good years here before we really have to worry about the significant drop in playing time. And, and, and to your question about stolen bases and stuff, I, I, the one thing I think that was a little bit surprising to me was how much the top end of uh, the stolen base category changed. If I was mm-hmm. still trying uh, always with my 15s and 20s, uh, in terms of stolen bases to fill up a roster, then it might be hard to put Crea on there because now I'd need to have like five or six 20s, you know? Um, and you start running out of roster places, you know, <laughs> to like put a, a 20 stolen base guy. But what we did see last year that was a little bit surprising to me was, uh, you know, like 17 players. And I don't even, I have a qualified thing on. So let me, let me do, get rid of that. Um, how many players did we have? We had 23 players with 27 plus stolen bases. And if you just want to make it 25, you had 27 players with 25 plus stolen bases. So, and, and you also had, uh, you know, 15, 16, no, 18 with 30 plus. So it's more likely that I get to the Korea place with three thirties in my pocket. Right. Cause you're going to take, Probably eight to ten hitters, and then the rest will be pitchers by the time Correa's on your roster at the current price. You'll know your situation. So I'll, I don't know if I need bags, then you won't draft it. Yeah, you'll know your situation. But if I had a if I had a forty five in my pocket and a twenty and two twenty fives or something, I would feel like yeah, I can have a zero someplace. I, I am. I'm going. I'm going back to the well because of the discount. I think we can excuse. These injuries, even though, you know, the back thing in April almost gives me more long-term concern than the injury that bothered him for the greater portion of the season. I guess plantar fasciitis is definitely like Pujols near the end was was hobbled by it. It's it's not great. It's attached. To, it's like it's part of an Achilles problem. It's like a whole thing. I don't know. Yeah, it might not. Is it, I mean, it might be related to the ankle really and, and foot problems, right? So that's the that's the scary part. But the, the price is so cheap. You know, once once you start talking 300s for a guy that could hit 25 and, tw- and 280 homers, like without, you're not, that's not wish casting. That's his projections are going to be fairly close to that, you know? Exactly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to a couple players that had catcher eligibility and in many situations no longer do. Dalton Varsho, I think, in pretty much every league no longer would have his catcher eligibility unless you got something that says once once a catcher, always a catcher. <laughs> Varsho has been tricky because his real-life offensive value versus his fantasy value have, have always been a little bit askew. But because he's a good defender in the outfield, even a great defender, 
the playing time floor ends up being really safe. And we look at what happened in 2023. The big drop off was really in slugging percentage. Lost almost 50 points in slug. A lot of the underlying skills look the same. And I, the thing that looks different to me with Varsho now compared to when he first really broke through, I think it was more like second half of 2021 in Arizona. He used to use the whole field consistently. Even from a power perspective, you'd see home runs the opposite way, center field, and he's become a lot more pull happy. So do you think this is actually a good approach? Do you think it's an approach that maybe started off as a good thing and then maybe went too far? What do you think the next step is for Varsho? Because I'm not looking at him and panicking about his playing time in 2024 just yet. I do wonder if, you know, depending on how the roster's built, if they have a, another righty that they'll throw out there and mix and match with them on occasion. But I think his glove keeps that playing time floor pretty high because through all of his struggles this year, you know, 581 plate appearances on a Toronto team that had World Series aspirations. Yeah, and some big moments late in the season. So, you know, if you're thinking in terms of like NBA, who's finishing the game, like he finished the game too. It wasn't like he was a part-time uh, player necessarily uh, at the end of the season when they really needed to win games. So uh, I think he's he's a, a mainstay in that. I think that there is some bounce back capability. I think we're going to see um, we're going to see better work from him. All the projections say he's an above average bat going forward. Um, it just makes me think of a couple things, which is that like, you know, I think the best single batted ball is a pulled fly ball, pulled like pulled hard hit ball in the air um, is is the best uh, single batted ball. And one of the things um, that you can uh, look at is um, just look at uh, league wide trends. So league wide opposite field. Uh, you know, batters hit uh, 315 with a 468 slugging. That's a 107 WRC plus. Uh, if you just look at pulling the ball, um, if my there we go. Uh, no, one more back. In. No, it's not gonna do it for me, huh? Okay, well, uh, let me do this real quick. I didn't think I'd have to do it again. I thought I could just press the play back me off, button. Johnny. Yeah. Um. 169 WRC plus with a 659 slugging to the pull side. That's 60 points of WRC plus difference between pull and oppo. So that's a big deal. And then uh, the other aspect is ground balls versus fly balls. This is removing line drives from the equation. So you're talking about the extremes. Ground balls, 243 average, uh, 267 slugging uh, for a WRC plus of 35. Uh, if you switch that to fly balls, uh, you get a 231 average, not that much of a difference in average, 694 slugging on fly balls, though, and a 134 WRC+. plus. So you can see already in just without looking at just pulled fly balls or pulled up balls in the air, you can see that pulled balls are better and fly balls are better. Um, and so Dalton Varsho really seems to have taken that to heart. And yes, his pull rate went from the, the sort of high thirties to the fifties, uh, and his fly ball rate, uh, also advanced. Where's the problem here with him? I think the problem is that, um, he went from a 44% fly ball rate to 47% fly ball rate. Now that doesn't seem like a huge increase, but at the top ends, you know, at 40 degrees, um, launch angle, which is, you know, the top ends of your fly ball rate. 
Um, you really have to hit the ball like 115 miles an hour to get anything out of those balls. Your your production really falls off there. So I have a, a chart here uh, from Jacob on the launch angle debate uh, on medium. And he just has them in buckets of exit velocity and launch angle. If you look at... Um, if you look at uh, four, 41 through 50 um, and you look at WOBA uh, in the 41 through 50 angles, uh, anything from 75 to 110 miles an hour, or 75 to 105 miles an hour has a WOBA that starts with a zero or a one. So like 40 is bad. 40 is where you really like that's the you don't want to hit 40s. Now, I did a quick search for Dalton Varsho. Um, and number of balls over 40 degree launch angle, 2023, 98, 2022, 72, 2021, 49, 2020, 18. So he is really aggressively putting the ball in the air and it's gone too far. Um, but given that he, this is the very peak of his fly ball rate and the very peak of his, you know, too many, uh, balls over 40, I feel like you would bake in regression there and you would ex- you would ex- expect him to kind of maybe realize some of that and uh, to maybe calm down the fly ballness of his approach. Um, and so th- that's a long-winded way of saying, I think generally what Varsho has done has been good, but he's taken it a little too far. There's a complicating factor in Toronto. I mean, you look at his home splits, which, you know, for any particular season, your home road splits can be pretty noisy. Dalton Varsho has never been worse at home than he was in 2023. It was his first year in Toronto, a new, new place to play half his games, but also a place where the dimensions changed. And Varsho wasn't the only player in this lineup to take a step back, right? I was taking a look at the overall team performances from 2023 against 2022. The Blue Jays as a team lost 11 points off of their WRC+. Plus. Right. I mean, Vlad Jr., we talked about him on the last episode. He wasn't quite the same player. Bo Bichette looked like he took a small step back. Um, you look at Matt Chapman, I think at home, he wasn't quite the same guy. That drop in WRC Plus was tied for the fourth biggest drop year over year. Slugging percentage, they lost, they lost more than all but two teams. Only the Yankees and Brewers had bigger drops in slugging percentage from this season compared to last season than the Blue Jays did. And in the case of the Yankees, that was an Aaron Judge absence really driving those numbers. So I wonder how much of this is, you know, a group of hitters maybe that need to make a few adjustments based on how that ballpark plays now. You know, is that something they would have to do on an individual level? Is that something that the team would have already dug into and possibly uh, given some ideas to these these hitters to say, hey, let's let's try to change approaches this way to better fit our home park? It's an open question for now. I, I, I don't know if. You know, maybe Caitlin McGrath has some insight on something like that, but it's a problem, at least for now, that they are not hitting the way they were built to hit because they looked, to me, a lot like the peak Astros teams as far as how they were constructed just a couple of years ago. Low K rate, big time damage, and they didn't look like that team up and down in 2023. Yeah, I, I would assume they don't do anything just because one-year park factors it's something that i've written about a lot one-year park factors in san diego i've written about twice now one-year park factors in houston i've written about you know parks do have some noise in them you know year to year 
sometimes the wind changes. Sometimes there's something built around them. Sometimes the, it's the dimensions like it is in Toronto, but you don't necessarily know after one year that this is exactly how it's going to play. And so I would assume that as anybody who has done a remodel of their house uh, might attest to, it's no small thing. Uh, you start to, you have to get in the, the architect and then the contractors and the subcontractors and all, you know, it becomes a whole big thing. You know, I think the last year when they did this, they started now, you know, it's not something that you start, you know, January one, it's like, it's a, it's a big project that you want to start right away. And I would guess they haven't started it cause we haven't heard about it. And uh, so I would assume that they aren't going to change it. Now, then the second question is, how real is the problem? And um, I did see that, uh, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Whit Merrifield and Matt Chapman were all down 60 to 150 points in OPS at home from 2022 to 2023. But on the flip side, Kirk, Bichette and Springer went the other way. So it's not a slam dunk that it's all the park. And I would say that, you know, having 30 more balls at our 40 degree uh, launch angle plus, that's a, a, a like a very concrete factor. We know those 30 balls are very unproductive. And if you change those 30 balls to line drives, which is aggressive, and I'm not saying that's exactly what it's going to do, but if you just did it as a thinking experiment, then his BABIP would have been much closer to the 270, 290 range that he'd done the last two years, and his batting average would have been much closer to 240, 250, um, and he would have had a much, you know, a much more normal line, and we wouldn't be talking about him. So I would assume that it's more the fly balls. He's gotten to the top end of his range there, and he needs to calm that down a little bit. The last thought I've got on, on Varsho before we move on. It's a lot of Dalton Varsho content <laughs> on this episode. Uh, looking at how he's performed against righties, even just year over year throughout his career, I like the splits tool over at Fangraphs because you can see the the production. 2021, 304 OBP against righties. That's, that's the spot where he should be good, right? Uh, 317 in 2022, 268 last year. Even if he gets back to the hitter he was in 2022, I don't think there's enough here for Varsho to make a leap to the top part of this lineup. I do think he's mm. the kind of player that's now stuck in the bottom half of the order for the Jays, even if he's not losing playing time because he's good enough you know, against lefties and or the glove is so valuable they keep him out there. That's a limiting factor in terms of the runs and RBIs probably not being there. So you have a little bit of batting average risk on the downside, not much ceiling in the category, decent power speed combo, but probably average or even slightly below average for runs and RBIs because of where he's likely to be in the lineup barring some kind of massive improvement. Yeah. I mean, even look at his best season, 79 runs, uh, 74 RBI. So, so, I mean, if we're doing the back of a napkin sort of uh, quick projection, I would guess 240 average, uh, 22 homers and 15 steals with sort of 80-80 runs and RBI or 70-70. Yeah, I'm more comfortable with 70-70 just because of where I think he's going to hit. And then even if you project some positive regression for the lineup as a whole, which doesn't seem unreasonable given who these hitters are and just how the top regression works. You're right. He's not at the top of it. They're a little better. So 70, maybe 75 runs in RBIs each are, are a possibility. Uh, but tempering my enthusiasm compared to where I used to be on Varsho. It's a good place to buy him if you are in a league 
where people just remember all the bad, you know, um, right. and he, and right. he drops a little far, but as a, as a, you know, as an outfielder that, um, you know, you're kind of looking at versus other outfielders, um, I would have to assume that, uh, let me see here. What is this? This is Steamer. I mean, looking at Varsho versus Nimmo, Varsho versus Kerry Carpenter, Varsho versus Jaron Duran. Those are the types of right. outfielders you're looking and at. I might in that put range. him behind uh, Duran just because of maybe a little bit more upside in the speed category. I put him ahead of, uh, what I put him ahead of Nimmo? Nimmo's tough, man, because Nimmo doesn't really, top of the lineup. he doesn't. R- yeah, like the lineup position seems so stable because he, he really owns that that real skill, right? A career 380 OBP. Nimmo's a leadoff guy. That's going to happen. And he has been able to get to power more consistently. So I think you're getting a lot more in that runs category. I may not take him over any of those guys. I guess Kerry Carpenter, uh, you know, doesn't have the speed, uh, has a strikeout, a little bit of a strikeout problem. Um, but... Yeah, maybe I take him over Kerry Carpenter. I think I probably would because I think I say this all the time. I think what Carpenter does is still easier to find later on in the player pool. At least Varsho it steals those bases. It's a little bit of everything other than average. I think that's the category where I just, I'm not expecting much of anything. If he's not hurting you in batting average, then you've done pretty well. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, another former catcher in some places, but not all. MJ Melendez, who actually caught enough. If your league has a requirement of 10 or more games, he's still a catcher. If your league is higher, like the NFBC is 20, he's no longer a catcher. He'd be outfield only in those spots. I look at MJ Melendez, you know, and yeah, the K rate ticked up a little bit. 28% last year. Still had a double-digit walk rate. Still got to the power a little bit. The barrel rate was double digits again. He didn't hit the ball on the ground too much, and he actually had more more in the hard hit column overall, almost a 50% hard hit rate, so 
I don't understand how he slugged 398. <laughs> the underlying numbers just don't fit the slash line here. So is the real MJ Melendez a guy that's going to push up at least the average and slug because he can do more damage based on those underlying numbers? Or do you see that K rate kicking up and say, yeah, this is going to be tricky because his real life flaws that he really doesn't have a good defensive position. And, you know, whereas Varsho, you say the glove keeps him in the lineup. Melendez doesn't have that to fall back on. I think what he falls back on is he's young. The quality of the contact is good and the Royals still aren't good. So they need to make MJ Melendez a big part of the middle of their order in the long run. I think there's still enough uh, positive stuff here for a 24 year old, you know, in that, in a team that's that's that bad that, yeah, he's got a couple years still of he could be doing this for a couple of years before we start talking about him losing playing time, I think. I want to blame the park for his slugging percentage problems, but he actually has a 419 slugging at home and a 371 away. Um, so I don't really know uh, for his career, Melendez does. So I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but if, I, if you covered up slugging and you showed me the rest of his line, I would assume this is a guy who hit 25 homers. So I think that's still worth buying into. And I would assume that his would-you-rathers are even lower than, than Dalton Varsho's. That is correct. Uh, he's in the outside the top 200 in a lot of leagues. 175 was the early pick. 279 was late. I would say split that difference. I think if he stays in that pocket from pick 200 to pick 225, I might have a lot of MJ Melendez. Yeah. I think I would prefer him to Varsho, especially with the discount, and maybe even straight up, hmm. because I, I think I, I like guys that hit the ball hard, and I think MJ Melendez could take a pretty big step unless you think they're going to take playing time away, and I just don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're built like that. I think there's more in it for them to make sure he becomes good. I, I wonder, I, I'm trying to think of like a pie in the sky. If everything goes well, like who hits the ball hard, Took a few years to really reach their current level. I mean, Kyle Schwarber is a little bit Solaire. complicated. Solaire, yeah, that's that's probably a good one too. Yeah, I mean, he took. I mean, he took a long time. So you don't want him to take as long. But he also didn't get the same amount of chances, right? Like he got yeah. 404 plate appearances in Chicago, and then 264, and then he was in Kansas City where he got 110, 257 before he finally got the full time fire hose and got 48 homers, but. Uh, yeah, his max EVs and barrel rates and strikeout rates and walk rates. He looks a lot like Soler. He looks a lot like Soler. I think the the range, the barrel rates for Schwarber were a little higher, but I don't think that's completely out of bounds as a ceiling if everything clicks. So Soler probably is instructive in terms of how long it can take. Mm-hmm. And, and sh- like a Schwarber outcome is like the reason you keep dreaming on the potential. But, you know, part of the reason it took so long with Soler might be that he just never got the full-time playing time, whereas with Melendez, you feel like he's going to get 500 plate appearances next year. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that first good season, of course, first, like, complete season from Soler is 2019. He played every single game that year. Year of the rabbit ball. Right. That's that's part of the story. Jorge Soler didn't need the rabbit ball to hit home runs. (laughs) But, like, Schwarber, Schwarber, you know, in 2017... You know, started playing full time right away. He also did better from the beginning. Schwarber did so, mm-hmm. and different part, higher floor. Yeah, little consistent slug right away. So I think that's where it's it's a little bit of a reach. But I I'm still in on MJ Melendez despite the struggles. 
you know, kind of close to a, a league average bat despite the flaws uh, up to this point. Let's stay in the AL Central. Eloy Jimenez, another player who's lost some eligibility in leagues. He was actually someone I had a chance to keep in that XFL league that I co-managed with Ryan Bloomfield. We talked it over and he's UT only in that particular league. That league requires, I think, 15 of the position to qualify. So again, 10 games. Yes, he qualifies. Did you let him Doesn't go? Doesn't matter. We actually threw him back no because of the way. price and the, the roster mechanics. Yeah, we didn't really have a, a UT spot to spare. We had a cheap keeper we wanted to throw in that spot instead, which actually hurt quite a bit because we traded a decent reserve pick to get him in as midseason, thinking he's going to put it together. 2022 is, is the baseline. I don't know. Is 2022 an outlier or is 2022 attainable? We've seen four years with double-digit barrel rates. Last year just dipped to 9.3%. Still a lot of hard contact. More ground balls. Why is Eloy Jimenez hitting the ball on the ground even close to half the time, 53.2%. That's the worst we've seen from him as a big leaguer. Uh, so you can either make me feel better about the decision Ryan and I made to throw him back or make us feel terrible and uh, give everybody a reason to still believe in Eloy Jimenez, who I've been waiting on now for several years. I, I'm I'm Linus in, in the great pumpkin patch uh, waiting for the Eloy Jimenez MVP caliber season as a hitter. Yeah, you know what's interesting is that he actually is a highball hitter. Did not expect that. He's a he's a highball hitter with a decent sense of where the zone is. I wonder if it's a little bit similar to the Vlad problem, where mm. they're filling up the zone in the bottom of the zone uh, against him, and he's expanding not outside of the zone, but he's expanding within the zone and hitting too many ground balls because that's where pitchers are pitching him where he wants you know to attack the high fly, the high b- pitches in the zone and and take those that's where his swing is at its most effective so what does that mean though what how does someone get out of that what do we think about i mean this becomes a question again about what we think about Vlad Guerrero Jr like you know how likely is he to you know tighten up that swings area and and learn the Soto tactic where he just even spits on low pitches in the zone because that's not what he can drive. The Alex Bregman philosophy of I only swing at pitches I can homer on. Like, do we want a little bit more? The great philosophy if you can execute it. It might mean more strikeouts because he'll take some called strikes low, right? Yeah. I think if you have a set of skills and you choose to have this more balanced approach at the expensive kind of getting away from your best attribute like when you look at the tools that Eloy Jimenez has look at the scouting grades raw power it was graded in 2019 70 grade raw power 80 future right if you are giving up that power to make more contact you're probably making a mistake yeah we like guys that do both if you can only do one of those things and he should be able to do both because it's not a bad hit tool right like he can hit he can hit pretty much. But could we anything. go back to like twenty five percent strikeout rate, but have a two fifty ISO? Like we'd rather that. I I think he's more likely. Yes, I think the the twenty twenty. Even though we don't talk about twenty twenty a lot, that slash line is probably more ideal to the skills he has. That's getting more out of him as a hitter. I mean, he did it for a while in twenty twenty two as well. But I think more strikeouts in this case might be better because it means he's getting to that power more consistently. Not because he's striking out, because of the types of swings he's taking, the balls he's he's hunting, like working the count a little longer 
to get those pitches. I'm surprised also seeing that the K rate improved that the O swing was still close to 40%. That's a little bit puzzling to me. Yeah, It does seem like there's this overemphasis on avoiding the strikeout in his approach. Yeah, I would assume that's him battling off low pitches, right? They're in the zone, mm-hmm. so they don't count as reaches. but they And they, they count as contact, but not good contact. You know, yeah, hard hit frequently, down. Frequently hurt up. player, too. It's, uh, he's, he's a puzzle. It, and I bet you the would-you-rathers are not that exciting for him. I might not take him over some of the would you rather's. He's in the Varsho range, and again, you know, UT only in uh, in NFBC without leagues. any steals. You're not really expecting a lot of steals from the UT slot, relatively speaking, I guess. So you could probably get away from it. His his comp is almost like which which player do you believe in more as a hitter, Eloy? Or Carlos Correa, ah, even though Correa goes later. <laughs> 270 with 20, 25, 27 homers are the projections. A more recent gnarly injury history on Eloy Jimenez, <laughs> well, both, but the greater long-term both, concerns on Correa. Both injury concerns, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't know if you, could roster, if you should roster no them positional both at value the same time. <laughs> None. None whatsoever. But it, it's just really puzzling to me that He's hitting the ball on the ground that much, and it's got to be look you're saying. It's got to be just trying to not strike out and ending up hitting pitches that he can't drive, and that's just sort of how it all comes together. Yeah, like there's select there's selectivity strikes strike not, but then there's also selectivity within the zone. Like, what can I do damage with? Absolutely. So I'm like quietly still in, but with that caveat. There's only so many players like this that you want to take chances on. You can't, you can't wish cast on three to four hitters across your group of fourteen zero because steals. you're probably asking for too Especially much. Especially with yeah, zero it, steals, like just yeah, you need you need a lot from everyone else if you're gonna take a spot or two and and take on these guys that don't run. One caveat, real quick, is that the the more shallower your league gets, the more some of the stuff becomes viable because like. In a shallower league, it's completely comprehensible that you might actually have a starting lineup full of guys that steal. Like in a 10-team league, you know, if you three outfield, whatever, like if you get to a certain part in your draft and you realize, well, I was a little bit light on on power and maybe some of my guys are a risk in batting average. I've got Estuary Ruiz and Jazz Chisholm and you know what I mean? And, and like it looks like I went really hard on stolen bases you may may be able to fill your bench with like Correa and Jimenez and somebody you know and like and and, uh and and profit that way because in that league Correa might be droppable if he does the same thing he did last year yeah I I think that's true I, I guess the other part of this that is kind of interesting with with Jimenez is because he's kept the K rate down, the, the upside from a fantasy perspective might be something that actually it, it like play it, it works against him a little bit. Putting the ball in play more often, RBIs might be a little better, right? If he's whiffing, he's not driving in quite as many runs unless he's getting to the power a lot more often. So I still think the floor as a run producer is really good for him. Even if he sticks with this approach, I think it would be better if he took more hacks and, and tried to avoid swinging at those pitches lower in the zone. Uh, Trevor Story came up, and I know coming off of elbow surgery, they, there wasn't there, there weren't lofty expectations for him because at various points, it didn't even look like he was necessarily going to come back and play. 
in 2023. But I thought the question was pretty interesting that we've seen these splits from story against same-handed pitching, the righty-on-righty splits going back to 2021 that really aren't very good. Like a below-average player in those matchups. We talk about the ballpark, a righty, righty in Fenway should be able to pile up a lot of singles and doubles hitting the ball off the monster. It's tough to grade him because of all the stuff that's happened to him in the two years that he's been in Boston. But it ultimately comes back to a, a bounce back to what? you know. And, and the K rate has gone up over 30% each of the last two seasons. Decent quality of contact underneath. you know, Even with the bad numbers in the 43 games he played this year, 9.7 barrel rate, pretty close to his career norms. So what kind of expectations do you have for Trevor Story coming out of just two injury-ravaged season so far with the Red Sox. One thing that I like is that he's still, he actually improved his sprint speed a little bit, and he's he stole bases, and he's 86th percentile in, in speed. So he's re- retained his athleticism. And that's going to make him interesting to me. I also like that he played 36 games at shortstop last year. Um, is he going to be dual? Nope, not dual, just shortstop. But um, I, I, I think I might buy some shares, and I don't really have an answer for you why. You know, I, I just I like that he's stealing bases. I like that he still barreled the ball ten percent of the time. The raw power wasn't all the way back, but this is right after injury. A full year of rehab, like a full offseason, normal offseason of rehab. Like his career line is 265 with a 28% strikeout rate. I think he could do that next year. And if he does that next year with any sort of recovery of power due to his injuries, like you're talking about 265, 2020, right? I think the 20 bags is like the, that's the skill that makes the most sense to me off like out of the box. Like I think 20 steals seem very reasonable. Maybe the 265 is the the biggest reach because he doesn't have the Coors inflation anymore. But even if it's 250, 2020, like he's going to be cheap. Right. It's basically Trevor Story versus Tyro Estrada. Yeah. And I'm going to take Trevor Story actually. I think I'm with you on that. It's a good park. In fact, the the park can inflate his BABIP a little bit like Coors used to. Yeah, even if it's only, you know, half as much as Coors does, that's still a boost over what a neutral park would be giving him. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's it's a little bit like a TJ pitcher that came back and wasn't great, but showed good velo. Like, yeah. you know, like good exit velo, good running velo, you know, like it's like a pitcher who, who came back from TJ, had five starts and... It's almost exactly like that because five starts, I mean, maybe 10 starts, but like had started and showed that he was healthy enough to play, but didn't play that well. Uh, I think there's lots of people that would buy low on a pitcher like that. It's really interesting. That's a good comp because I think sometimes just getting back, showing everyone you're healthy for more than like a couple of weeks and then having that clear runway to not be rehabbing all winter, but to actually be working on getting stronger and and working on things that you want to work on. That's a big difference. I do think the the price is pretty funny. We talked about Spencer Steer on the last episode of surprises, and I was really surprised to see his ADP kind of around that pick 80 mark. And when you start to say, well, what is Trevor's story going to bounce back to? 
I think he bounces back to a guy that ends up in that range. You think about like Hassan Kim, Josh Lowe. These guys are kind of going in the pick 70 range. Well, tell me story costs less than that. Oh, he definitely costs okay, less than that. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I thought you were going to set me up here for saying Story's ADP is 75. I'd be like, what? No. Okay, His good. range in those five drafts is 133. There you go. Two, like at the earliest, 213 at the latest. I don't. I don't think that's going to be real. I think around 150, like you could buy him around 150, like ninth, 10th round. I mean, to, to get someone who could still steal you, you know, 20 bags without, with, with not non-zero homers. Like, I think he'll be a great MI, you know? Yeah. I, I think he makes a lot of sense where he's going right now. And I think if you could, if you nudge him up to Zach Geloff territory, mm. like who do you trust more? Zach Geloff with his kind of unique swing and some of the things he does versus stories i could see stories adp ticking up a couple of rounds once we get more volume once you people could see get a, zach geloff's bad more time taking a few ticks down i mean it seems like 27 it 27 percent strikeout rate 267 average 331 babip it's like do all of these things match up for zach geloff i don't think so i i think they might be a lot more similar than people realize so that might be that might be the sort of toss-up we end up reaching <laughs> between now and, and if it's March. a true toss-up same price i'm taking Geloff just because he's younger and we don't know the top end you know we don't know his true talent babbit you know we don't know but if you're drafting on saturday which i don't think you and i can draft because our our pod overlaps the the start of, of draft or noon but that's fine the uh then you get it the, Geloff goes ahead of, of story assuming he goes like couple rounds earlier are you saying ah oh, well i'll wait story's back there i'll, I'll pass might. on galoff i'll do something else I'll, I'll try to get trevor story next time through i might because galoff will be going then in the eighth you know round and in the eighth round a i might need pitching and b i might want more sure things the 10th round is like literally this weird moment where i'm oh i start becoming more okay with taking shots yeah i think that's like that's seventh and eighth difficult. round i'm like I want to be more sure about this. And then like, I don't know, it, maybe it's just stupid, but like ninth, 10th round, I'm like, man, YOLO, this guy could be great. <laughs> to pick 150. Let's just air it out. Let's see what happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, uh, I ran a couple of, of things together in a jumbo messy spreadsheet. And uh, I was looking for players who had at least 450 plate appearances in 2023 and i was looking at the difference between the auction calculator dollars earned in 23 versus 22 and even though he missed time with an injury aaron judge was the the biggest faller because he had an amazing season in 2022 missed time you know for stretches wasn't quite himself blah 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 this is about aaron judge i was really surprised to see paul goldschmidt was one of the biggest fallers in earned value because he was the number two hitter according to the auction calculator in 2022 so he started from a high place and he was still a 19 dollar player this year you know it wasn't like if you drafted paul goldschmidt in the second round really mad. you didn't lose your league because of that yeah. but he had this sort of setback year or or downturn year given his age not a big surprise with 687 plate appearances right i would have figured oh he missed some time right he had an injury i don't think i had goldschmidt anywhere so i didn't realize that he just wasn't quite the same guy. Again, not a big surprise. Lost 10 homers from the previous year. Run production took a hit. That lineup, of course, wasn't the same. They had a lot of injuries. Guys didn't step up. 
So that worked against him. The stolen base output was still there, and it's pretty much the exact increase you'd expect. A guy that went 7 for 7 in 2022, he went 11 for 13 in 2023. That's like (laughs) the exact bump someone would ordinarily get with the stolen base rules in effect this year. So what's going on with Paul Goldschmidt? The underlying numbers still look pretty good. The plate skills haven't changed all that much. The strikeout rate was the highest it's been since his first year in St. Louis. And we're talking about a guy who's 36 years old now. So I think what you see is probably what you get, but what you see is still not that bad, even though it was a harsh drop from the previous season. Well, one real quick uh, shout out to the Cardinals for uh, a pretty good contract. Yeah, that extension I think got a little bit laughed at in some circles, and well, just because they good. spent a bunch of of player capital to get him, and then also spent money on him, you know, you just feel like why did you give up Kelly and all those guys when you know you could have just waited a year and and paid that same money in free agency, um, but. In retrospect, what did they lose out of it? Who did they trade? It was like Kelly and Luke Weaver, and um, as our our friend uh, Chris Welsh and, and Scott Bogman said, Uber driver Andy Young was the third player in that trade. And Kelly was supposedly the catcher of the future over there, but he's on his third team since and whatever. So, um, yeah, you know, I think the Cardinals did well in that. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I think this is a Hall of Famer. Is that crazy? I I have no argument against that. You may want him to get to 400 homers or something, but, you know, gets to 400 homers, close to 200 stolen bases. He'll have, he won't necessarily have that 300, 400, 500 uh, pristine line, but he'll be close to it. Uh, I think he could be a Hall of Famer. Uh, last, I, I do see a little bit of the aging bell curve happening finally for him where uh, his pull rate went down. He came into this league as more of an oppo guy, uh, and he learned how to pull and uh, learned how to pull in the air. And uh, he'd been steadily sort of progressing in pulled fly balls uh, over his career, peaking in St. Louis the last couple of years. And he took a fairly significant step back from uh, the peak fly ball rate and the peak pull rate. And I just don't know that he's necessarily going to regress back to where he was in 2021 and 2022 in terms of pull fly balls because it fits so well with how he came into the league. You know what I mean? It just looks like, okay, this is the beginning of the end. Um, and uh, the nice thing is it's such a great peak that the beginning of the end could be useful uh, in fantasy for three, four, five years, you know? Uh, but I don't know that I would buy him assuming that next year he's going to hit 300 with 30 homers and 15 steals or whatever and assume that all of this regression is going to be positive. He's 36 years old. Paul Goldschmidt is not likely, I don't think, to put up another season like 21 or 22 again. Yeah, I wonder how much you know the aging of, of Joey Votto might be somewhat instructive here. Like you see that you know Votto... It, it, that power season he had in 2021 was just such a bizarro outlier that I, I wouldn't want to put that on anybody. I, I think more about how 2015, 2016, 2017, high 20s, even mid 30s home runs, everything looked like typical Votto. And then, you know, 2018, it was a pretty big drop in power, even though 
average and OBP were fine, right? Like sometimes you just kind of fall you off. You just don't into know that how the injuries are going to, you know, like what kind of injuries will Goldschmidt get when he gets older? Will he play through them and have lower power or will he miss lots of time? I mean, Votto in 18 and 19 put in 1,200 plate appearances, but was he fully healthy? Because right. that's a weird ISO to put up in, in 1,200 plate appearances. Yeah, it's a pretty funny little part of the draft, though, in these early drafts. Paul Goldschmidt, around pick 75. Some other older players, not as old as Goldschmidt. Mike Trout goes in that range. Uh, you see Nolan Arenado going about 15 picks later right now. I mean, given the age difference, I think I'm more inclined to take Arenado in this range. Wouldn't be surprised if the gap between them closes and they end up being two guys you can't get together in a draft situation because... You take one and someone next to you or near you takes the other. And I, I could see them being pretty similar in terms of output. Uh, I, I would be a little bit more assured, I think, of Arenado's power uh, and more assured that Goldie would steal 10 bases again. Yeah, yeah. So solid player, but not buying in, expecting another 30-plus dollar season in mixed leagues from Paul Goldschmidt. Here's another player that I didn't have many places. Cedric Mullins. He did miss some time. I think he started to platoon a little bit late in the year, too. This is an Orioles team that got a lot better, so you'd think the supporting cast would kind of buoy some of those numbers a bit. Uh, where do we go from here? cost him some playing time, maybe. Right. Like, they, they, they aren't going to be willing to tolerate struggles against lefties and, and different slumps and all, all these different things that can happen to a player. We saw Mullins strike out a little bit more kind of split the difference between his previous two seasons in barrel rates. I think we kind of know he's like a 6% barreler. Usually it makes a lot of that value in the run scored and stolen base department. And because of the lost time and stolen bases being easier to get, I feel like that worked against Mullins quite a bit. Like he's exactly the kind of player that became more common because of that uptick in stolen bases around the league. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't push it into that 30, 40 category where, you know, he's a cate- not category winner, but, you know, uh, a real impact in that category. At 19 stolen bases, he's in the in the glob of base stealers, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, Still efficient, though. He's 19 for 22. So, I, you know, if you scale playing time up, you could see him getting to 25 or 30 bags again as long as, as, long as the role is there. And, and what's the would you rather on him? Because I, I feel like... Sometimes um, just an injury can create weird gaps in your season where like, you know, in the first half of the, in, in March and May, he hit, you know, 270 with eight homers and uh, 13 stolen bases. That's like more, most of his production for the season, right? And then when he gets hurt, he comes back second half, 209, seven homers, six stolen bases. It's just... You know, like maybe he was still being affected by the injury. Maybe, uh, maybe he just wasn't able to get going. You know, in a way that uh, somebody who played up through the season could get going. You know. Yeah, here's here's a good ADP comp because I think they do kind of similar things skills wise too. When it's all going good, TJ Friedel mm. versus Cedric Mullins, right? Like I I look at TJ Friedel and I'm like that seems. Like, it's about as good as it can get in 2023. Maybe it's repeatable, but low barreler, right? Someone that I think needs a park like Cincinnati to continue being a 
mid to high teens home run contributor, but 27 for 33 is a base dealer, good on average, no BP. That helps kind of drive those counting stats. That's sort of reasonable. Mullins barrels the ball more, strikes out a little more than Friedel, but I think in terms of the, the categorical value, I think they would be reasonable comps. Is it fair to just, you know, kind of take a step back from the minutiae and the and the little stats and everything and just say buying Friedel is buying at the top and buying Mullins is buying at the bottom? I mean, if it was the exact same price, I think I would take Mullins, actually. Yeah, I mean, the way the Orioles used him the previous two seasons, he was a true everyday guy. And I think you have to really get inside the the process of, of that front office and the roster and say, is that no longer true? Or is that just a thing that was temporarily not there for Mullins this season? I want to look really quickly at who played in center field other than him. I don't think Hicks, I don't even, is Hicks even under contract? I don't think he is. Let me see. Here. I'm not saying that was certainty. Uh, so it's free agent 2026. So, but oh, that's right. The Yankees are paying the. But the Yankees are <laughs> paying that, that. Does that mean that the Orioles just have him as a, as a again as a um, minimum guy? No, oh, that's they should. Yeah. Oh, that's that's yeah. that's pretty killer for the Orioles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a good good bench outfielder. Hicks, I think, is fast. But I don't think he's time in Orioles. The Orioles started. I don't think no. you you think oh they're gonna you know he's, Hicks is gonna take every lefty at bat from Mullins next year. I don't really think that. I don't know how often you want to have Hicks in center. Jorge Mateo had five plate appearances as center fielder. Yeah, it was it was Mullins, Hicks, McKenna, Cowser, Hayes, and Mateo. That was all just like long tail. Cowser, Hayes, and Mateo were all under ten games in center field. McKenna is a defensive center fielder, and I believe he bats righty. Yes, he does. So McKenna is actually probably the biggest threat. However, McKenna in those plate appearances had a sixty-one WRC plus. Are we sure that McKenna, even with the platoon advantage, is that much better than than Mullins? For his career, he has a 75 WRC+. Plus. He doesn't really have much power, and he strikes out a whole ton. Like, McKenna's a backup to me. So, I, you know, Kowser, if you believe Kowser is a center fielder, um, then that could be true. But even in the minor leagues, he had... He almost had an even split between corner outfield and center field. Uh, but yeah, I guess I think the real threat is Kowser. The sort of on the roster stealing a few at-bats against lefties threat is McKenna. But uh, if you think the, the future for Kowser begins next year and they're going to start you know, him in center field over Mullins some and maybe even move Mullins off the position or anything like that, then then you would bet against Mullins. But I don't I don't necessarily think that's going to happen this year, this coming year. I feel kind of similar about Mullins as I do about Varsho. And I feel like because of the defense, especially, Varsho's playing time could be a little safer. Both of these guys have questions about their, their offensive value on the positive side of their platoon splits. So Mullins against righties, 305 OBP last year, 318 in 2022. That doesn't go to the top of the order for a contending team, right? That's a player that goes more to the bottom of the order. So I think even though the lineup around him is better, his role in that lineup is probably different, even if you want to give him 600 plate appearances again. So I'm not, 
I'm not looking at him and saying absolutely great value, going to bounce back to early round status, but he's also not an avoid player. I think he's sort of like an appropriate correction based on some of the things that have happened. Would you take him or Friedel? I think I'd take Mullins over Friedel. Okay. The Reds have a crowd too. Obviously more crowd on the the infield than the outfield, but if we're choosing today, I could see things getting trickier for TJ Friedel between now and opening day. Yeah. And maybe Mullins gets traded. You know, we've talked about the glut of outfielders the Orioles have. Maybe there's some other team that ends up with Cedric Mullins. And maybe Friedel gets traded because the Reds uh the Reds need pitching. And <laughs> I think Friedel would suffer more from a trade than Mullins. 100% agree because I do think that power contribution in particular given the underlying contact numbers for TJ Friedel, the quality of that contact outside of great American ballpark. He's just not going to be a guy that hits for that much power. So that would be a pretty big deal if they flipped him. Curious to see how it plays out for both of them though. And reasonably priced where they're going, but I think I prefer Mullins to Friedel right now, just given what we've seen from these guys up to this point in their respective careers. Uh, we are going to go. We've, of course, as expected, left a few more names that will come up in review and preview episodes of this pod in the weeks and months ahead. On our way out the door, a reminder, $2 a month gets you in for a subscription at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. We are headed to First Pitch Arizona. Our friends at Baseball HQ put on a great conference every year. So we got a, a live pod we're recording for the people at the conference on Saturday. That'll drop sometime early next week. I'm moving again. Yeah, my mom's going to the to game four tonight. Uh, and nice. I'm going to game five tomorrow night, uh, with Paul Spore and, uh, and then, uh, you might see us on the TV if you watch <laughs> the, uh, Arizona fall league all-stars, because what we end up doing is we end up sitting right behind home plate. Cause it's a fairly easy to do. So it's, <laughs> it's not super well attended. I'll be going from a game that has 50,000 people in attendance uh, to a game on Thursday in the fall league that may have 50 people in attendance. Um, and uh, so you'll see us behind there. But we also play a game which uh, you may be able to organize on Twitter or, or somewhere else <laughs> uh, that's called Paul Stars. It's very simple. Uh, everyone gets uh, two picks. It's a snake draft. Um, and you just pick two players, uh, in the, in the lineup for, for the all-stars, uh, the Arizona fall league all-stars. And I don't know, I don't, it's like sort of DFS is scoring. It's total, total bases basically. Yeah. Something like that. So, uh, <laughs> and then you, you know, that's pretty simple. We, uh, you know, we put a couple ducats down and, uh, and enjoy ourselves. So, uh, if you see me waving or even if you don't see me, cause one year somebody got mad at me for waving. I was waving to my kids. Uh, and so if you don't see us waving, we're waving at you metaphorically. Yeah. Right. If, if we blink twice <laughs> like that, like I just did, that, that's our way of saying hello. You know that, uh, uh, who was it? Um, uh, Hornacek. He used to, when he, Jeff Hornacek, when he went to the line in the NBA to take foul shots, he would always go like this in a very sort of obvious way. And someone asked him about it. He's like, I'm waving to my kids. There you go. <laughs> so ours will be a, a double blink. I'll forget about that. Literally 10 minutes after I said it. it but anyway. <laughs> probably just do it accidentally because the, the lights will be bright or I'll be tired or, you know, whatever, all those things. But should be a good time in Arizona. Looking forward to that. Safe travels to everybody who's going to be meeting us out there. Um, again, if you like this podcast, drop us a rating and review. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit the like button on this video. If you're not watching us on YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel. 
the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel. Lots of good stuff there and always more. We have tons of ideas. <laughs> We're in the heavy ideation phase. We need to be We're in looking the increased forward to production phase. More production value in on the YouTube uh, next year, I think. We're going to try and do more visuals, more... Uh, because it's a visual medium, like try to take advantage yeah. of the fact that you can see the charts and see what we're talking about and, and do some of that. So, yes, less of our faces is the goal in 2024. I mean, we'll be here, but just covered by nice graphics <laughs> is the <laughs> it's the actual hope. That's going to do it for this episode of Rated Barrels. We're back with you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.